Uh, if you would turn your attention to, uh, we're going to hear from Brian in just a moment. Uh, this passage is so long, I volunteered to read, and he took me up on it. <clears throat> uh, the sermon this morning, the text does come from Genesis. We've been in Genesis for a while now, and we are again. Genesis chapter 6, beginning verse 9. Through chapter 7, verse 24, if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof of, for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and the third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breadth of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood, flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds 
and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast, according to its kind, and all the livestock, according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, according to its kind, and every bird, according to its kind, and every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him up. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, would you meet us here? Would you open our eyes to see the beauty and the depths of your provision for us in Christ, that we would find you to be lovely and good and ever-present in this world? Open our eyes to behold you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, it's a privilege to be with you this morning and to bring the Word of God from Genesis chapter 6, such a wonderful passage of Scripture. Thank you, Tony, for reading that, saving my voice just a little bit. Um, it's a full passage, but rich of God's works and His nature. To us. Um, I want to start by asking a question. Where were you in May of 2010? 
Remember that month that stand out to you? First part of May, the rains began to fall. It didn't seem like those rains were going to stop falling. If you were in Nashville or the surrounding Middle Tennessee area, you knew the flood had come. The flood had brought destruction, damage, displacement, death. Just two days of rain. 36 hours around 13 plus inches of rain fell. 26 or so people died both in Tennessee and Kentucky. Thousands, billions of dollars lost. Homes lost. Businesses closed down. Houses being gutted. Many, maybe many of you helped with those or went through that yourself, the gutting and recreating your own house or moving altogether. We can imagine, can't we, what a flood is like. We've experienced it. We've been through it. But as we look at this passage in Genesis chapter 6, and into chapter 7, we see a whole nother flood altogether. This flood is the backdrop, the dark backdrop to a stage play, if you will. You know that black curtain that hangs on the stage with a spotlight on it? We read... The first part of chapter 6, there's a backdrop of judgment that's coming. A backdrop of man's sin, wickedness, and corruption. Yes, we started with Noah, a righteous man, and those flowery, wonderful words about Noah and God's favor on Noah. But the flood story really begins all the way back in the garden, doesn't it? with the backdrop of sin. But it's not just that backdrop. There is a contrast, a contrast with Noah, but even more so a contrast with what God does with Noah, his favor on Noah. It stands out against that darkness of man's sin. It's God's favor on one man. And then our story climaxes with a redemption story, with the salvation story, God's work of preservation of one man and his family and the animals that he called into that boat. So let's look this morning at our passage as we look at that backdrop and we see that God, because he's a holy and just and righteous God, must Deal with our sin. But in the midst of dealing with our sin through a flood, he magnifies his salvation for his covenant people. 
And how bad was it? Well, let's look there. In chapter 6, we see in verse 5 that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Does that not just strike you right in the core of, of who you are to think about how far mankind has fallen from the garden? Every intention of the thoughts of the heart were only evil. You say, was it that bad? Well, let's think about the progression or degression, if you will, of sin. Adam and Eve eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then that being multiplied, being increased in Cain's murder of his own brother, Abel. Because he offered a better sacrifice. In a passionate rage, he kills his own brother. And is cast out as a nomad. But it doesn't stop with Cain. If you look at the lineage there in Genesis chapter 4, you see there is a man who boasts about his sin. In fact, his own murder of a young man who has wounded him. And he says, if Cain, if his anger was as bad as sevenfold, mine is 77-fold. Do you see what we are seeing here in verse 5, that the wickedness of man was great, or you could translate that multiplied or increased or intensified, it is only growing and it is spreading like a disease, like a contagious disease, like a fire that is unleashed and not controlled. It's spreading until God sees that this wickedness is greater than he can let go on any longer. Do you see God's nature here? Do you see on the one hand his holy, righteous, just justice. That's who he is. And you hold that firmly because that's what God's word does. But you see his compassion and his long suffering and his patience. This was not overnight. This was not a quick passionate rage. He saw this over a long period of time. The generations there in Genesis chapter 5 are long years says, enough is enough. Excuse me. I will limit them to 120 days. And I will bring judgment. See, the problem wasn't just that they were morally corrupt. It was that they were corrupt against a holy and righteous God. A holy and righteous creator. He had created them upright. As Ecclesiastes reminds us, he creates man upright and we have gone our own way. Doing life in our own way for our own glory. You see, they were, they were created to be fruitful and multiply as Nate has proclaimed Sunday after Sunday. 
image bearers in God's image, to go forth into the world and to be image bearers of his glory, to fill the earth with his glory as they live for him. But instead, man went his own way, pushed out of the garden, doing his own thing for his own glory. And what was the consequence? We see there in verse 11 and following, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Man filled it with corruption that led to a removal of the, the, the idea of God in their midst. The standard of God's righteousness and his truth and then violence is unleashed. God saw all this. You see that in verse five, you see that in verse 11, you see that again in verse 12. He saw the corruption, he saw the way that his world had strayed. And we think, well Brian, I know I mess up. I know I may sin some days, have a bad attitude. Um, <laughs> I struggled with that yesterday, a bad attitude at certain times. I may slip up, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. Every intention of the heart. What does Jeremiah say? Our hearts are desperately wicked. And out of those hearts comes all sorts of evil thoughts and words and deeds that are against the Lord. That's a hard word. It's a dark backdrop. John Owen reminds us in his Mortification of Sin, and I know many of you love that book, as challenging as it is and as humbling, he says this, every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every covetous desire would be oppression. Every thought of unbelief would be atheism. Might it grow to its head, allowed to grow every angry thought and bad attitude that I have, small as it may seem, would be murder if it could. Boy, that's a hard word to say especially in the Middle Tennessee area where we have our social grace and niceties and we say yes, ma'am, and, and no, sir, and are polite. At the same time, we know our hearts and we know if allowed to grow would be horrendous. We tremble at this chapter knowing the backdrop is bad because all of this is before his sight. See, he sees into you and I's hearts. He sees what we do. We live before the all-seeing eye of God, as it were. Moses is using that anthropomorphic language to express to us God's judgment. 
Because this sin was not just before him, it was under his judgment, his condemnation. He could go no longer, and he tells Noah that. He says, I'm sorry, I regret that I I have even created man because they have strayed so much. He regretted showing his heart to us, more of his nature to us. It grieved him, but it also made him determined to deal with it. He says there, I have determined to to bring judgment upon my people, upon the earth for their corruption. I have determined, I have made it firm in verse 13 to make an end of all flesh that has filled the earth with violence. And he brings that determination through a flood period of history that had never seen a drop of rain. He says, Noah, I'm going to bring a deluge and blot out every breathing thing. The wrath of God. The wrath of God on our sin. And if we don't see the darkness of that backdrop and the fierceness of his wrath, then the contrast and the climax of this story won't make that much sense. We will hear it, take it in, and go right out those doors and forget it and go to lunch. But if it's that fierce, if it's that real, if his wrath is that trembling for us, we will hear and we will Fear him as we should. Our God is a God of just justice, of just judgment on our sin. But in the midst of that backdrop, he looks at one man, doesn't he? He sees all the others in sin, and he says, There's one, there's one who is righteous. These are the generations of Noah in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Oh, there's hope. There's hope this morning. There's hope in the midst of this passage. I know that as even I preach this for the second time, I see, whoa, this is heavy. This is very heavy. At the same time, there's that wonderful hope that God doesn't just see our sin. He sees righteous man. He sees a man who has walked with God and will walk with him. God, who is outside of time and created time itself, sees it all at once. And he sees Noah. Praise the Lord for Noah. Praise for the Lord for another one who God characterizes as one who walked with the Lord. Just like Adam, before the fall, walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. What a wonderful statement that is. Before sin, what a portrait of pointing forward for us of what it will be like in the heavenlies. We will walk with the Lord without sin. And Enoch, who walked with the Lord and was translated up, 
What a mystery that is. Here's another one. Noah walked with the Lord. Close communion in his word of promise day after day. Would that be on our gravestone? Brian, one who walked with the Lord. That's what we want. That's what we come Sunday after Sunday to hear. <laughs> How do I do that? I don't measure up to a one like Noah. How do I do that? We'll see what this entailed for Noah in a moment. But it wasn't because Noah was so righteous and so good and, and so close in communion with God that he looked on, that he looked on him. Look there in verse 8. Underline this, if you will, in your Bibles. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There it is. He found favor in God's eyes. That word for favor is his grace. Unmerited. As we know, the Apostle Paul would say before the foundation of the world, he chose Noah out. He chose him in love, predestinating him to be conformed to the image of his son. We know Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved. It wasn't because Noah was so great, although he was. He still fell short. We know how his life ended at the end. It wasn't as pretty as it started. But he was still known for his close obedience and trust in the Lord. It was because of his favor, the work of God's favor in Noah's life, that he would be found righteous in his day. You say, I don't measure up to that. I fall short of Noah's standard. We do. We know, as Romans 3.23 says, all have fallen short. But it's not the standard of Noah. It's the standard of God. It's the standard of his own son. We all fall short of that. And it's only because of his favor that we would ever come. And so, against that backdrop, we despair. And that despairing drives us to his grace, doesn't it? Drives us to the grace and favor of our Lord. Crying out, Lord, I don't meet that standard. I will never meet that standard. You had to meet it in my place. It wasn't just in his personal walk with God that Noah was found righteous, but it was also in his public expression of that walk. You hear so much today that my relationship with Jesus is just between me and him, and it is personal. 
We have a personal relationship day after day with the Lord of glory. But it's not just privatized. The Bible does not teach just a privatized religion. But a religion, a, a faith that is lived out in obedience to his word. And that is exactly what we see in this passage of Noah. Time and time again, as, as God comes to Noah and explains, Noah, I'm going to bring a flood. I'm going to destroy all flesh, but you, your family, and these animals that I'm going to, I'm going to preserve for you. He obeys it all. Look there at verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. What did God command him? Make a boat. Make an ark, Noah. An ark? It's never rained. Why do I need an ark that big? When you look at the blueprints of the length and height and depth of the stories of this ark, Maybe you've gone to the Ark exhibit up in Kentucky. I want to do that. I've heard and seen pictures of it. You see the massive size of this boat before industrialization, before all of these things. It's a lengthy time, long period. God comes approximately around age 480, which is old when we think about it, and then it's done flood until age 600. Can you imagine being 600 years old and the flood coming? In that time, Noah did everything that God had required of him. Noah exercised, in other words, faith, trust, belief in God's word. Many of you may be struggling just as I am at times and going through things right now where I'm saying, Lord, I don't see what you're doing. <laughs> I see the darkness. <laughs> and it's hard to see the light. Noah had to trust him when he could not see. He had to trust his word. And as we'll see, it's a word of promise. Yes, a word of judgment, but a word of promise as well. But this public walk manifested itself in both deed, in creating an ark, fashioning it just the way God had required him, bringing those animals to that ark and his family, but also in word. Peter tells us in 2 Peter that Noah was a herald or a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't only just a man of righteousness. He was a man who expressed that righteousness that comes through the Messiah, the, the holy seed, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Noah trusted in that one who would come and save him, even himself, from his own sin. He needed another's righteousness. 
that righteousness that is in Christ and in Christ alone. Noah found favor for his personal walk. Noah found favor for that public walk when he was by sure scoffed and mocked. Noah, we don't see the rain. Is it coming? Has God spoken to you? He endured the suffering. He endured the mocking, the length of time. And by faith, trusted in the Lord. A psalm that came out this, this week for me in this study in God's providence was Psalm 112, verses 6 and 7. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. And that flood was bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Isn't that a picture of Noah? Heart firm, trusting in the Lord. May that characterize you and I. As those in these corrupt days, as we see before God's sight, all sorts of moral corruption, you flip on that news and you see it day after day. The failings and the fallings of man in sin and all sorts of sins and into violence. And we say, how long, O Lord? Don't we say that and pray that? Would we be in that, in these days, men and women, boys and girls, who trust the Lord. And what did Noah trust? He trusted in his provision, which we see in the climax of his salvation, the provision of God and his promise. Very quickly as I close. The climax is really focused on this boat, that he is required to make into fashion. This boat, which was to be their escape, their refuge, in the midst of these prevailing floods. Not just two days. 40 days, 40 nights. Can you imagine? There in verse 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and and they bore up the ark. The waters prevailed in verse 18 and increased greatly on the earth. 19, the, the waters prevailed so mightily on earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. This was a massive flood, a worldwide flood. It covered the whole earth, blotting out man. Judgment, just judgment. But in that just, just, just judgment, excuse me, the waters beat against the ark and they bear up that ark. Look there in verse 17. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters. This God who had called Noah and his family and all those animals clean and unclean, even down to the food that he would 
prepare for them and, and, and command Noah to prepare for that 150 days. Can you imagine 150 days of being in that stinky, smelly ark? God, a God of the details, cares down to the very minute insect and creeping thing along the ground, taking care of Noah, even, as the word says, shutting the door, showing how he, as Tony said earlier in the service, sealed them in, and showing how he is with them in the flood. His provision is great, but it was also his promise. Look there in verse 18 of chapter 6. I will establish, he says, my covenant. I will confirm to you my promise to you. Now that promise will grow in chapters 8 and 9 as it's a promise of preservation, that he will not flood the earth like this ever again. There's a promise in that moment before the flood that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you, provide for you. I will be your provision. And as those rains beat upon that ark and bore it up, Noah remembered the promise of God. Noah believed the promise of God. And we see that the salvation that saved this family, Noah and his descendants, and all these animals, is really pointing forward to the Lord Jesus. Because when you see it, they had to be in that ark. They had to be sealed into that ark by the Lord himself. They had to be found in that refuge just as Jesus is our strong tower and refuge that the righteous run into and are saved. Are you trusting in him alone? Not anything that you have done. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. There's nothing we can bring. Are you trusting in him alone? Are you found in him alone? And in the last days, as we wait for the coming of the Lord, which this story points forward to, Peter says, what sort of people are we to be in holiness and righteousness? full of the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, full of his word, walking with him. You say, what are we supposed to do in a day and age that doesn't even acknowledge that God exists, that pushes him out of the public square? We can follow Noah. We will follow our Lord Jesus most of all, who lived by faith and not by sight who trusted his father with everything he had. You see, that is the greater Noah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved us from the wrath of God, just that same wrath that was poured out on all humanity. 
He took on that wrath for you and for me. And today, we need to hear that message afresh. It's only in him that we are found. It's only in his name that we are saved. And by his blood that we are washed clean. So against that backdrop, we see the contrast and the climax of his salvation. The question is for us. Not so much where were we in the Tennessee flood. We know where we were. But where will we be on that day? On that day of the Lord when he will come again and not bring a flood Will you be found in him? Just as Noah was found in that boat, will you be found in the Lord Jesus Christ? And let's pray. Father in heaven, we want nothing more than to be found in you and you alone. We trust your word of promise today that is yes and amen in Jesus. That yes, the backdrop of your judgment is fierce, and we tremble before it. Yet we despair of our own righteousness and cling to yours alone. Oh, Lord, would you take this word and apply it to our hearts, that we would trust you this day and forevermore until we see you face to face. Oh, God, please make us men and women, boys and girls, who walk with their God in the wicked days. In Jesus' name, amen.